Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Little known fact about my guest today, in her early career as a singer, she sang with Bob Dylan and Bette Midler and Etta James, but you most likely know her from the character she's portrayed for decades on television, Peg Bundy in Married with Children, Gemma Morrow on Sons of Anarchy, and so many more. Welcome the extraordinary Katie Seagal to the podcast. A-OK. Hey everyone, my guest today is Katie Seagal. Some of Katie's television credits include Sons of Anarchy, for which she won a Golden Globe Award, Superior Donuts, The Connors, Rebel, Eight Simple Rules, Dead to Me, Futurama, Married with Children. She also appeared in the feature films lead for this Pitch Perfect 2 and The Good Mother, among others. An accomplished singer, Katie has released the CDs Well and Room and performs with her band The Reluctant Apostles. Her memoir, Grace Notes, My Recollections, was published in 2017 by Simon and Schuster. And I recently had the tremendous joy, honor, and privilege to see this woman back on stage where she belongs in New York City in a play called The Gospel According to Heather. Actually, it's, is it The Gospel or just Gospel? No, The Gospel. The Gospel According to Heather. How lucky am I to have Katie Seagal on the podcast today. Hello. Hello, Ilana. Nice to see you. So nice to see you. Eight know, shows a week. No, actually not. It's oh, five. Really? Yes. How did you manage that? That seems like a dream. It's pretty much a dream. And one of the <laughs> reasons I was I was open. It's um it, we're off Broadway. So uh, as from what I understand, Broadway is kind of going through uh, some changes. So I think that the shorter run and fewer performances kind of secures a, a full house. So yes, yes. I, I I don't know if that was their thinking, but it seems to be what's happening. So that's part of the the good news. It's so amazing being in an audience where you are in a cast with so many wonderful, wonderful 
young performers. Um, but a lot of them are newcomers to the scene in terms of they are at the beginning of their careers. And there is this kind of um, incredible energy and charge in the audience that I'm sure you feel when you come out on stage for your first entrance and I just felt like everyone in that room felt like she's mine. No, she's mine. And it's just, <laughs> including your husband, who's really like, no, she's mine, who was in the audience. <laughs> yeah. um, and he had the biggest grin on his face the entire show. It was it was really moving actually to see because people who listen to my podcast know he's been on the show and know he was someone who was such a huge part of my life a long time ago. And then to circle back is thrilling. So that's about all the talking I want to do, but I want to just go back in time to the beginning, if you don't mind, um, whatever we can remember at this point in our lives. It's good. You wrote it all down in a book. (laughs) You grew up in a house in California. Who was in your house? Well, first of all, I was born in Hollywood. So to me, that's always kind of iconic that I was born literally in a hospital in Hollywood. My parents were, um, I'm the oldest of five. Uh, My parents were in show business. My father was a director. My mother started as a singer when she was very young. When she was 11 years old, she had her own radio show. She was known as the Singing Sweetheart of Cherokee County. And this is when they would give you like 15 minute slots. And she was 11 and she would sort of, she would sing and yodel. She was a yodeler. And, um, but by the time I came around, my mom had more been, she was an assistant director. She worked for Norman Lear. She was, she was kind of more behind the camera than in front. And my father was a director. He started in the Yiddish theater. So I, at that point, I don't really remember, but I, I don't think we were, he was successful. We were just kind of coming up. And so um, I was the first of five. And then we moved all over Los Angeles and to New York. And you know, when you kind of come from that background, depending on work, you know, the family would move a lot. Like if we have a job, if we don't have a job, that kind of thing. Um, Can I just like pause for a minute? The Yiddish theater, can you just tell me what anything you can about that and his background and his Sagal, was that his last name? Did he change it? No, he came from Russia when he was seven. His name was Boris Sagal. When they got to the States, uh, they changed his name to Bernard because that was uh, just an easier thing to explain. I believe here's this kid can't speak English. And eventually he went back to his original name, to Boris. Um, My dad is a pretty amazing story. They were dirt poor, no money, nothing. And they came over immigrants, uh, just him and my grandmother, leaving behind his dad and two brothers, they stayed. And um, my father worked his way up through school. He ended up at Harvard, this is like incredible, as a history major. And along the line, he decided he wanted to be an actor. I'm not quite, my parents have passed a long time, so I don't have reference. So he ended up going to Yale. He went to the Yale Drama School. I don't know how he afforded any of this. This is like the scholarship guy. So he ended up going to Yale. 
he, which to my grandmother's, like, who never spoke English, just Yiddish, she just could not even believe he didn't want to be a lawyer or a doctor. He wanted to be in show business. So he studied as an actor. And then uh, he always told me that he, he couldn't maintain being an actor because he couldn't keep a straight face on stage. That's what he would tell me. So he ended up being a director. And I, I don't exactly know how he got hooked up into the Yiddish theater, but that was his first pro situation was in the Yiddish theater. Uh, my mother was actually working more professionally. Norman Lear introduced my parents because my mother worked for Norman and she, he knew my dad and they, you know, that's how they met. Um, anyway, so he, uh, uh, and then he started in early television. He was in the, the sort of Pasadena Playhouse when that was live on television. He, and then he ended up directing, you know, Man From U.N.C.L.E., Dr. Kildare. He was one of the first to do miniseries, which was, you know, he did Rich Man, Poor Man. He did a show called Masada. This is when this, that genre, which is now sort of streaming television, but it used to be that you would do movies of the week or a miniseries that would go on for 10 episodes. But um, yeah, he kind of, he, you know, he sort of entered, you know, introduced that form. He was involved in that. And, um, you know, there's a lot of things I find out about my dad, just sort of in hindsight, which makes me wish, you know, miss him more. I wish he was around because he, um, you know, he discovered Nick Nolte. He's, he got his career started. He, he uh, worked with um, uh, not uh, Sophia Loren. He worked with all, all kinds of people that, you know, as a kid, I'm just like, oh, where's my dad? He's at work. I didn't even really know what he did. And right. I just knew that he was gone a lot. Yeah. And then when he took me to the set and I got to go meet, you know, the, the guys on Man From U.N.C.L.E. And, and Richard Chamberlain on Dr. Kildare and then bring my friends from school, suddenly it was like, oh, my dad does something really cool. So I kind of grew up around that. And five, that's a, you know, that's a big family. What was your relationship like with your siblings? My relationship with my old, my brothers was closer because we were closer in age. My sisters came along about eight years later. So um, we were close. We were, you know, uh, my, my family went through a lot of hard things, which a lot of families do. My, my mother was um, not well for a good part of my life. She had heart disease from an early age and she just had some, you know, I'm not, uh, she had depression. She was, you know, to me, it was indicative of a woman that should have been born now because mm -hmm. she should have kept working. Yep. She would have been happier if she'd kept working, not that she didn't love us, but I think that her, you know, and then by the time the kids were sort of an, old enough, the ship had sailed. She just couldn't get back to it. It's like right. I advise my daughters all the time. I have two daughters. I'm always, and, and any young girls, I'm just like, look, don't give up your stuff. Have your yes. baby, your family is super important, but you know, don't give up who you at your core are. And mm -hmm. um, I wish that my mother had followed that advice because I think it ended up with not a happy later in life. Right. So, um, but set yeah. you on such a clear path, like there's obviously the love, but also 
I'm going to do it differently. Oh, completely. I really, I got that example by, um, well, also, you know, for me, it was interesting because from an early age, I could sing. I mean, like from the time my mom taught me how to play the guitar when I was like 10 years old and we would sing folk songs and I just had, I had a good voice at a very young age and it was sort of my calling card through middle school, through the horrible times of high school. You know, it's just, it's just a nightmare for those years, some of them. Totally, but you had an artistic outlet and a passion. I did. And it was kind of an identity, which ultimately was, was a great thing, but I had to sort of circle back years later and realize that I'm more than just what I do. But for, the, for my younger years, it kind of, it just saved me in so many yes. ways that I could be identified as that. And it, um, it's, uh, so I really have always held on to that and felt so at home. And so in a, in my body when I'm in a music situation and now. Well, after- yes, but okay. So a, there's, there is music in this play you're doing right now, which is yes. awesome, but also in kind of getting to spend a lot of time with you uh, on the internet in the last couple of weeks, getting ready to talk to you today. Um, what an incredible start in terms of being a young singer. I mean, I know there are so many more, but the people that I saw that you started out as a backup singer for, even though you were always writing and doing your own music and had your own band, included Etta James, um, whose song at last was sung to me as I walked down the aisle at my wedding, Bob Dylan, Bette Midler. I mean, these are still to this day, I don't care if you're 60 or six, these are names that people know. So right. you were you were on your way. I mean, you have to start somewhere and there's no YouTube to put out your own stuff back in the day when, when we're starting out. So how did you begin to make your way in earnest in the music industry? Well, the, the first story is pretty interesting. There was a wait, there was a restaurant in Los Angeles where you had to be a performer in order to get a job there. You literally had to audition. So I was a singing waitress. I was a singing waitress when I turned 18 and had dropped out of school. And oh, before that, cut to, I did a national touring company of a, of a Broadway musical where I was a chorus girl. This was Wait, like- before, like while you're still in high school? No, I, I got out of high school. I went okay. to six months of art school because okay. I just- you know, I hated it. I dropped out. I got a gig being a chorus girl in a musical and traveled around the country for about nine months. So now I'm like almost 19. Right. I come home and I got this job at this restaurant where you had to perform. So one night I'm singing songs and the band Kiss came into the restaurant. So I'm their waitress. So I'm singing my songs and singing my songs. And before I know it, it turns out that Gene Simmons, I was in a band at the time and he knew one of the guys in the band, cut to literally him coming to our rehearsal, taking us to Casablanca Records and getting us a record deal. This all happened in a very short period of time. So that was my first recording experience. From there, I went on and I made a record on Elektra and I, I sort of was dabbling in my own solo career but I couldn't pay the rent because nothing was really hitting. So I, from that band that got signed to Casablanca, there were three girls in the band. We all went to an open call audition for Bette Midler. Oh, first came the Bob Dylan job. 
one of those girls knew Bob Dylan, took me to the rehearsal hall. He hired me. I mean, it was a wild story. He hired me sort of sight, you know, hadn't really heard me sing. I mean, he just hired us. And I literally, I put it on my resume because I, I worked for him for a very short period of time, maybe four months. And then he fired us, <laughs> but it was still Bob Dylan. And I was like, I'm just like, you know, I was so enthralled. In fact, I think I was so enthralled that I, I could barely sing. I was just, I'm, I'm not surprised he fired me. So from there, I went to a big open call audition for Bette Midler and, um, and got that job with one of the other singers from that early band. So then I started touring with Bette. Now this is all, you know, I would come home and try to make my own stuff. And then I had to pay the bills. So then I'd go out on the road. And I worked for Bette for on and off for about four years. And in between there, I would go, I sang with Etta for, I don't know, almost a year. I sang with Tanya Tucker. I sang with, um, you know, I would do a lot of work, studio work with Olivia Newton-John and I would just, so, I mean, gratefully, I was able to keep myself afloat. And um, so that was kind of my background singer situation. Yeah, it was pretty wild. Well, most people would be like, and that's how, you know, that's when I look back, that is sort of like, it doesn't get better than this, right? But it got... <laughs> It got so much better. Like you're not sitting at the equity lounge somewhere telling stories of like when you were a backup singer, this is all sort of the seeds being planted, you know, a learning, you know, we call it number one on the call sheet, right? Like you're sort of working right. for these legends and I don't know, seeing good behavior, bad behavior, kind of, you know, the way you talked about your mom and sort of like loved her so much and saw her pain, maybe now in right. retrospect, you understand it more as an adult person, um, right. but also like witnessing how these people took their passion and ambition and they made it, right? They made it. Oh, yeah. Like, all of the people and, and the people, you know, the list I'm sure goes on and on. So for listeners at home, I guess the question would be, you're, you're making it, by the way, you're already making it. That's more than most people ever do who dream of singing in front of people for, yeah. you know, professionally. So how do you then segue to, I know like when you were little, your dad or young, I should say, your dad was a big director and he wanted stability for you. And he was like, do Columbo and get an equity, you know, get a SAG card. And I, it sounds like you really ran as far as you could from the family business as it were, Completely. but I know you as like a huge award-winning star. So how did that transition happen to like, I'm an actress for decades now? Right. Well, first, I just want to say that I do think it was a very rebellious um, time when my father would say he would come to I was in high school plays, right? That's the only time he ever saw me do anything. So he would come and then he would say to me, yeah, you should be an actor. And I'd say, no, dad, I'm going to be a songwriter, singer, songwriter. And I'd be banging away. And I wanted nothing to do with it. And um, so because I, I say that in hindsight, because I have to explain why it was that I, I actually could do this. So anyway, what happened was I was in my late 20s and the guy that wrote the musical, The Gospel According to Heather, that I am now doing, wrote a musical. We have known each other for 40 years. He wrote a musical and put me in it. 
And we did it in this little non-equity garage. I mean, it was nothing. From that musical, my now manager at the time became my agent. She came to see the show and she came a few times and she kept saying to me, do you want a theatrical agent? And I kept saying, no, <laughs> I don't want to do that. I am here in a production, but I'm a singer, I'm a musician. So finally, I think I was, uh, you know, I just couldn't, you know, it was a struggle. You know, I was struggling in my twenties. And um, so finally I said, yeah, okay, I'll have an agent, you know, and I just realized I had to try something. And literally within, actors hate these stories, by the way, because I did not study acting and I did not, I struggled as a musician. So within six months, I'm in a rock opera at the Mark Taper downtown in Los Angeles. A casting person from CBS sees me, asked me to audition for a comedy sitcom. I had been doing this. I did The Beautiful Lady. Do you know that play, Liz Suedos? That's yeah. the show at the Taper. I was playing okay. a Russian poet, you know, with the high drama, didn't say a word. You know, Could just, not be further from a traditional oh, sitcom. Right. Uh, nothing. I, and so they called me and I thought, and I said, well, okay. I thought it was a joke. I mean, I had no idea what was happening. So, which is kind of like this great thing. Like, I wish I went to auditions now thinking it was not that big a deal. But so I went, it turned out it was Mary Tyler Moore. It was her comeback show called The Mary Show. And Danny DeVito was the director. And I got the job. And I was on this sitcom suddenly called Mary. We did it for 13 episodes. The whole time, meanwhile, I have a band. I'm like always mm -hmm. playing. Right. Because I'm always thinking like, okay, well, this is not going to happen. I have to keep my real career going. Right, right. So I do that sitcom. It lasts 13 weeks. And then within five months, Married with Children showed up for me. And which once again seemed like, oh, well, this isn't going to really happen. It wasn't really a network. It was completely irreverent. I thought, you know, I'm kind of outside of the box. I'm not like, a so I thought, oh, this will be perfect for me, but I don't yeah. think anybody else is going to get no it. No one's going to get it, right? No one's going to get it. And um, how many years was that show? 11 years, 11 years. And I always say, you know, I learned as I went. I mean, I really feel like, I mean, when I first worked with Mary, I didn't even know how to get into my light or she would adjust me. She'd come over and just kind of move Inch me around. You over. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I played this kind of sarcastic, you know, sort of reporter and I smoked cigarettes and, you know, I was just kind of a hard ass. And so it just sort of, you know, and then I've just worked with so many great people. I've learned from them. You know, when I worked with Ed O'Neill for 11 years, one of the funniest people I know, I mean, he just, he was great. So yeah. I think it was about surround and then I then I started to take things more seriously once I realized oh this is actually happening so up to this day I still coach I coach all the time I feel like I've I've I have some technique now behind what I do and uh you know it was kind of ironic to me because I never really had considered myself a funny person and I still kind of don't unless somebody gives me something funny to say so, um, but anyway, so that, that was kind of the trajectory. And I, I've also asked my, you know, I wonder why comedy came very naturally. And I think it's because I'm a musician.
you know, because comedy is about music. It's about time. It's about rhythm. And I naturally feel that. So I, I think that's one of the reasons it kind of fell in. Does that make sense? But, you know, there are very few people who can go out in Halloween and see a thousand people dressed as them. And you're one of them. That was iconic. It was really, yes. And very surprising to Ed and I both, you know, because we were on the Fox network, which was only in like 70% of yes. households. And a minute like, old. Yeah. Like it was a, it was a baby, baby it's network. A baby thing. Yeah. We didn't even know it was successful till about three years in. I knew it was successful when they finally sprung for a wig for me. Like, you know, if, if, if when you watch it, you see that big red head for the first three years, I was, you know, just ratting the shit out of my hair. You're sure, like guys, this is clumps of my hair. Yeah, like, this is clumps of my please? hair, but I get a wig. And so finally they sprung for a wig. So I figured, okay, we're around. We're making some and, big bucks. We're going to be here. So that's it was why it fun. was. It was so moving to see you. I actually loved Dead to Me so much. I really uh, loved that show. And for people who also, you know, it was such an Easter egg for like people who knew, you know, some people watching that show don't don't know what Married with Children is, don't know about the beautiful relationship in history you and Christina Applegate have. So just seeing you in that world where she was on that show and and you playing Linda's mom, it was just fantastic and yes and you know you were just so great on it I do want to talk a little bit about you know people get very excited um by Hollywood couples working together um we all have all of this um preconceived idea about what that would mean um a Sons of Anarchy uh Gemma 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 Yes. Gemma, um, you know, you can kind of see the ways in which either comedically or non-comedic roles led, like converged to this place where you could take on, you know, your maturity as a human at that point, being a mother yourself. um, I mean, at the end of the day, that is a family show. It happens to be about the biker world. But the reason I think it was so successful is and relatable even though most people have never even sat on a motorcycle um, is it was about family and what will you do for your family and how far would you go for your family and who do we become like what we do to survive. Um, And your husband, Kurt Sutter, who we referenced at the beginning of the show um, created it. And so was there clearly the best idea ever for you guys to work together? Um, was there trepidation at first? Had you ever worked together before? Well, I had done one episode of The Shield. No, two episodes of The Shield, which is the show he'd done before. Yeah. I mean, my husband, first of all, it was a very, uh, I'm just going to back up just a little. It Do was you? a hard turn coming from being on a comedy for 11 years really feeling like, oh, you know what? I'm a dramatic actor. There's a dramatic actor in here. And I could not get hired. I mean, my first sort of dramatic foray was I was on Lost. And I remember having to audition two or three times to get this recurring role because they wanted to make sure I wasn't Peg Bundy. I mean, I swear people, when you're on television a long time, they think that's who you are. Right. So my husband, when he was... um, pitching the series and 
you know, I, he wanted to have um, a, a matriarchal character that was not necessarily what she ended up being, but um, uh, the network had said to him, let's make this role bigger. And, you know, this was a great opportunity. I was in my, I was 50 years old, which is at a time when, you know, women, unbelievably, the parts start to dry up. You're suddenly not, you're too old to be the young mom and you're not old enough yet to be whatever happened, whatever they see of you next. And he wrote me this great wall and we had no trepidation about working together. We definitely went through some stuff over the seven years. I mean, I had to really learn. My husband is very proprietary over his words, which God love him. He writes great words. So yes. So we did have to draw some lines, you know, about how much we were going to bring home and how much we weren't. You know, we both loved the project so much that it was hard for us to, you know, just come home and not be all in it, you know, but we had kids at home too. So we had to kind of set up some, some boundaries around like, first of all, I had to be very professional about my opinions and only give them in, in, a, in a professional work environment. Because, you know, to come home and to say, you know, hey, why am I doing, why is she doing, you know, it was annoying. So I, I had to kind of pull back my opinions and you know he's the boss and he was a great boss so it wasn't like I didn't have respect and admiration for him I did and you know everything he wrote for me was so there's nothing there was nothing wrong with everything he wrote you know what I mean so no, it was but like I get it but also like when you're working as part of an ensemble and people know also obviously oh. that you're married to the creator, even if it's, even if it's not about your dynamic, you're also just managing that, right? Oh my like, God, you are so right. Yeah. Like that more than anything, like letting people feel like they can do their work and express themselves honestly in front of you, knowing that you're going home with their, so, their boss. So true. I think I, I was, it was an awkward, it was awkward sometimes because I think sure. some people thought I was a spy, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to hear somebody complaining in the trailer and then I'm going to go home and blah, blah, blah. And so there was always a little bit of distance between from me, except for maybe Charlie and Maggie, you know, Charlie and Maggie, whatever, but we loved those days when it was yeah. just the three of us. When it and was then, us. Yeah. But, but, but yeah, there was definitely some of like, Oh, you're the boss's wife, you know, some of that kind of stuff. And so I, I felt part of the ensemble, but I was, I was, on both sides, you know, right. so even though Kurt was very, um, you know, we kept a really good professional boundary uh, for most of it. So um, I found it, and I think he would say the same. It was just a really wonderful thing to be able to do together and to be able to see him, you know, that was his first all by himself success. And it was kind of amazing to watch how he flourished and became what I knew he was and, right. you know, stepped into that role as, you know, I mean, he's a great mentor. He's a great, you know, people, he, he's like, a, he's a teacher. He kind of comes from that place. It was really, it was great to see my husband do that. It made me feel really good. Well, we talked so much about it when he was on the show, because the idea of like knowing someone who like 
he crashed on my couch, right? Like he was so day one of his life. And at that time, pursuing acting um, and just trying to figure things out. And what he always was, which is why it's so funny to see him now and sort of, you know, everyone has a persona, a professional persona. We talked about armor before and sort of like, he is such a little nerd inside, yeah. right? Like the biggest yes. nerd. I mean, he looks like such a total rock star and obviously he's such a beautiful human, but just to kind of know like that nascent, you know, I feel like I met him when he was just like out of utero and now he is uh, like crushing it and and is the boss. Um, anyway, it's great. It's like when your little brother who you knew uh, and saw, no, I, you know. You know. he's still he's still a nerd yeah. in the best way yes. you know in the way you want you know he's not all that you know what I mean he's no and you couldn't be <clears throat> married to someone who who I mean those people are to be admired but you can't live with them no no <laughs> no no with those people. people no no right it's good that, you know I feel I feel like both of us come from a place of struggle to begin with and yeah. not that not that everybody doesn't have their struggles, but there are certain people that, you know, that that start success really young. And neither one of us got that, you know. Yeah. I mean, I I I didn't really get successful until I was 31, 32, which I guess is considered older. And him too. I mean, it was his late 30s, early yeah. 40s. So we both, I think it gives you a certain amount of humility and a, a huge amount of gratitude. Yeah you know, to be, you know, I remember being unmarried with children and Eddie and I had both struggled, but Christina and David were young kids. Yeah. And Chrissy would say stuff like, I just want to go be a waitress for a while. And I would be like, Oh, really? <laughs> okay. You know, it was so, I mean, sweet and endearing, but you realize, yes. Oh, she had no idea what yeah. it is like out there having to do that right you know? to really pay your bills based on tips oh my god and Ed like, and I were just like clinging on to every season like yes pick it up again yes, yes. pick it up again. exactly and they did and I imagine it got to a point I mean you were lucky you are someone who would probably walk around and if you weren't in costume which you wouldn't be if you were going to the supermarket could you have some anonymity or did it just become you could Oh yeah. I had a lot of it. I mean, Ed didn't, and it was really hard for him. I'm sure. Yeah. We'd walk down the street in New York. No, I could have a lot of anonymity, which was, I think originally when I got that role, it was my idea to kind of dress her that way. And, you know, because I think in the back of my mind, I was thinking, well, I'm going to have to go back to my real job being a musician. I'm going to have to do that. So let's, I'll sort of be in disguise and then go back to my real job. I mean, it was so really, you that's smart. So smart. It kind of was. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it kind of was. I mean, I ended up while I was on Married with Children making a record on Virgin Records, which was like a legit thing. And it was a bit heartbreaking because at that point you couldn't be on television and be a singer songwriter. It just was not, you know, now I think all those art forms have blended, but so it was not really, it was received well, but it didn't do well. And I was so, right. you know, it's, it was very, it was disappointing, but it also kind of put, you know, how you get to a certain point in your life and you just realize, well, that some things aren't going to happen, right? Like 
some of those early dreams you have, they're just not going to happen. That, and it doesn't feel bad anymore. It just feels like, oh, but that's something I still love to do. So I'm going to continue doing that. And that's the reason I do it. Well, what a blessing, because I talked to so many people, you know, on this podcast. And the thing is like, how do you feel like a person in between? You know, when you said, right, like, so you can write music, you can play music, you can be creative, whether you are hired or not by some director, some studio to do a project. Like you are an artist every day, no matter what. Um, I think people early on in this conversation, you talked about auditioning. And I'm sure there are people out there who are very surprised to hear that that is still a part of your life at all, ever. That that there's some version of that that never ends. Um, oh yeah. Where are you with that? Well, I don't have to audition for television mostly, but like I just put myself on tape a couple months ago for a Robert De Niro movie, you know, because, you know, it's at every point, which I don't mind. I mean, there is part of me that feels like I want everybody to be creatively happy with the mm -hmm. choice. Mm -hmm. I don't want to get there. And I've been hired based on my name or who I am. And then not have, I, I want people to be happy knowing that they're going to get the story told that they want told, you know, right. so, um, but that world, you know, that sort of big time uh, movie world is not something that I've been in. I mean, I've made a few features, little parts, blah, 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 but, and some indie movies, which I didn't have to, but I'm, I'm not opposed to television, not so much. I mean, television right. by this point, like, I think you've seen enough. I think you know what I can do. So um, even though I do, I love the process of going with the creator and really reading and finding out what it is that we're doing, you know, yeah, yeah. before we do it, I want to know what it is. So it's like, it was great working with Kurt because Kurt had, the way he writes is he writes um, complete uh, historical background for everybody. He makes it all up. So like we would have conversations about like who and where people came from and, you know, when he would just have this whole map in his brain, he's just kind of oh amazing. My God. That. That's so yeah. incredible. But also to have that, like to not have How's it to... going? How's it going? Here comes my husband. Wait a minute. He wants to say hello. We were just talking about you. Hi, darling. We were. Hi. Hi. You know who she should have on? Who? Rory. Oh, Rory McNair, Rory O'Malley. You know Rory O'Malley? Do you know Rory? Rory has been on the show already. Oh, and right. he's one of my favorite people on the planet. And he had a podcast for a while. I don't know if he's still doing it. Um, he did? Yeah, he did. Yeah, um, during consulted for this role. Yeah, I called Rory from my dressing room. And I called Rory because, you know, I have one huge song at the end of this show that you Yeah, you do. Couldn't figure out the technique to stay warmed up. And, you know, Rory was the king in Hamilton for 800 performances. Unbelievable. So I yes. called him. I said, how do you stay warmed up backstage when you have, when you don't go on right away? What do you do? So he gave me some tips and, you know. Like what? Can you give us one or two? Because there are a lot of people out there who'd like be out of their minds to know Rory O'Malley's. Well, <laughs> he sent me a little warm up tape, okay. which is very physical, like, you know, some stretching and this and this and all that. And then he told me to get this thing, which I'm sure all, all Broadway singers probably know this already, but I didn't know, that you can put over your mouth backstage and vocalize in and nobody will hear you. 
mean, it won't go through the theater wall. Won't go through the theater wall. So that was super fantastic too. And, uh, well, it is, as I said, I mean, just to circle back to this, to the, the gospel according to Heather. Um, and I said this to Kurt, who just special guest star Kurt Sutter. Do we have to pay him now that he came in? No, no, no. <laughs> he'll, he'll do it for free. You know something's about to happen, but you are never ahead of who your character is, which is thrilling. Um, but when you finally get up and sing for us, um, it is a thrilling theatrical moment. You sound great. So whatever Rory told you to do is working. <laughs> you look amazing. It's um, it's funny. And it's it's sort of all the things in this one character. And now I also understand the history you have of the creator of the show, because oh. there are a lot of shows that you could do. Obviously, it's a part that like, don't have to do that much. And then there's a great payoff. Like, this is a great way to ease in. You described a five show week, amazing, a limited run. You get to be in New York, live at the Chelsea Hotel for a second. Like, it's all great. Yep. But it also speaks to me once again about like the kind of loyalty you have as a person. Um, he asked you to do it. You talked about how that was the launching pad for your own career doing his musical all those years ago. And right. what a beautiful thing. Before I let you go, I wondered if you could share a little known fact with me about you. Yeah, you you kind of gave me a heads up about that. What is the little known fact about me? Well, I I mean, I always think um, I'm, I'm actually pretty shy. And I, I don't know that, you know, from sort of the ballsy people that I play, you know, and, you know, Gemma was really scary. I'm not scary. <laughs> I can't tell you how many people are like, you know, they see me and they're just, you know, there's a reaction. And she was, cause she was, you know, she was an outlaw. So I'm not an outlaw. And, and I tend to be shy and I tend to be, um, you know, a bit self-deprecating to the point of, you know, I have to remember that, I mean, this sounds so, um, I don't know if this, I don't know how this sounds, but I have to remember that people know who I am. I don't right. ever realize that people know who I am. Right. And that's so crazy. That's so crazy. Of, it's so great. Like the other night we went to see, oh, we went to see Sean Hayes, which was unbelievable. Yeah, the night he's after. incredible. He's incredible in that. Incredible. And we went backstage to see him. And I remember thinking, oh, I wonder if he's going to know who I am. And it's like a wacky thought. I don't know. What You're like, Sean, Katie Seagal. I, 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 exactly. I was in a couple of shows. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of where I come from. I think it, it's sort of attributed, you know, I grew up in this industry and my parents were very business. I mean, it was not glamorous. It was like, this was a hard gig and this was great art, but it was work. This is just, yeah. they were like working people. So yeah. I didn't, I didn't really understand the whole celebrity that I still kind of don't. I just want to say thank you because oh. there are so many moments in my life where I think about how much television meant to me, like as a young person. And now like, like I grew up watching TV and I still love TV and I get lost like everybody else in, yeah. in these stories. And you have been making really incredible stories and telling them for a long time and how lucky are we? So thank you for being on the show today. Thanks, Delana.
little known fact, now you can watch hours and hours of my interviews with your favorite artists as they talk about the art they love to make on YouTube. That's right. I have a YouTube channel. It's called Little Known Facts with Alana Levine. Catchy, right? Subscribe and enjoy. Little Known Fact, if you want to donate to the podcast, just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com forward slash donations. Thank you so much in advance for your generosity. Have a great day. Clouds can make the wind blow.